for Nothing with Richard Harris. Here are the business headlines. Markets sink on the last day of the year. Chinese Purchasing Managers Index weakens again. And HSBC plans to launch the first asset-backed note sale by a foreign bank. Today's the day when we look back at the performance of 2014, which markets were the stars and which were the dogs. And we look forward to 2015. We have insights into the new year from guests selected today from the worlds of politics, economics and industry. For politics, we speak to Mark Mickelson of APCO Worldwide about the big geopolitical risks for the year ahead. On industry, we have Kinlian Tan, President of the Financial Services Consumer Association in Singapore, to talk about new trends in the insurance sector in Asia. But before that, I'm delighted to introduce our first guest host of the year. He is, as far as I know, the longest continuously serving multi-asset manager in Hong Kong, and that means he can keep an eye on pretty well every market, everywhere for us. He is Kim Do, Head of Asian Multi-Asset Investment at Bearing Asset Management in Hong Kong. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you very much indeed, and Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. Um, 2014, was that a good year for investment managers or a difficult one? I think it depends, actually. There have been some uh, sensational performances, as well as, as you mentioned before, uh, some uh, fairly doggy kind of performances as well. And um, as far as the uh, the star-performing markets, as well as the horrible-performing markets, in fact, they they are all in the emerging market universe. The the uh, well the good ones the good ones and the bad ones they are in the um, I I think that it is um, it is predictable that obviously the volatility of markets in the emerging uh, markets world um, once again uh, either push some markets uh, up very strongly or push some other markets down very um, severely as well so at the top. We have the Shanghai um, Stock Exchange Index, which uh, rose by 49.1% in U.S. dollar terms. And when we st- uh, when we speak about U.S. dollar terms, obviously that is a very strong performance, yes, given we'll be, the uh, fact that, that the U.S. dollar has been so powerful last year. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about um, uh, currencies later. Yes. Um, but, uh, Kim, uh, let's just go to the news first, and then we'll come back and have a discussion about the markets in a little bit more depth. Yes, of course. Um, yesterday was a day when almost every world market was closed, and many remain closed today, as well as some such as Japan, which will be closed for a few days next week. So things will be fairly quiet yet. But the holidays didn't stop China releasing its latest purchasing managers index, an indicator of economic growth on New Year's Day. The index fell to 50.1 from 50.3 in November, according to statistics released in Beijing, and anything above 50 signifies growth. So the decline further indicates weak Chinese economic growth and puts pressure on the authorities to stimulate the economy in the new year. The belief that the government would change policy and reflate the economy has sent Shanghai stocks soaring in recent weeks. HSBC is planning the first asset-backed note issued by a foreign bank in China. An asset-backed note holds a package of loans that can be sold as an asset. There was widespread abuse of such notes to package poor-quality mortgages during the global financial crisis in the U.S. So regulators are now pretty careful to monitor the risks. However, these notes do provide a way to strengthen bank balance sheets and are encouraged by the Chinese authorities as a way of increasing lending to smaller companies. Now, let's have a look at what the markets did in 2014. The two big surprises were the oil price, which lost 50%, falling from 110 last January to $57, and the US dollar itself. Rachel Evans, who's the currency analyst for Bloomberg, counters through some of the winners. 
Well, it has to be said, the dollar was the standout performer of the year. Um, that gained against all 31 of its major counterparts, uh, which hasn't happened since 1989. Um, particularly interesting were its gains against uh, the euro and against the yen, as that's going to really set up a theme for next year with regards to divergence in monetary policies. So obviously, as you mentioned, that the US is moving towards tighter interest rates, whereas in Europe we've seen significant easing this year. So what she's saying is that we should expect more of the same as U.S. interest rates rise, so more people will buy the dollar. And if rates stay low in Europe, the euro will stay weak. The same goes for Japan. Now Rachel gives us some of the losers. The, the poor, poorest performers have been connected to the um, oil um, markets. Uh, so oil exporting nations such as Norway and Russia have really seen their currencies suffer. So the Norwegian currency has fallen 18% this year. Uh, the Russian ruble is down about 45%. Um, so that's been related to oil sliding to its, its lowest level in, in more than five years. Um, and the question next year is whether some of those losses will be regained if oil prices do rise. So it all also depends on the Feds when they're going to raise rates. And the hot money, by most of the analysts that I've seen this morning, is on September. The dollar made a big difference to investment returns for us in Hong Kong. It meant a headwind because we were the only currency, apart from the US dollar, to outperform uh, this year. Uh, For non-dollar investors, however, uh, for instance, people coming out of Europe uh, investing in in US dollar assets, they actually had a tailwind. And um, to speak to us, uh, Kim Do... Uh, Let's have a closer look at these currencies. It's always pretty tough to invest when you've got the currency moving against you, isn't it? Um, Yes, uh, uh, I think that um, that is obviously one uh, asset you have to uh, keep an eye on. Um, But uh, I think that um, if we look at the currencies, in fact, um, uh, it's only the uh, Ukrainian Rivia and the Russian ruble, which actually um, fell substantially against the U.S. dollar. Obviously, the euro and the yen also fell against the U.S. dollar by about 12%. But as far as Asian currencies are concerned, in fact, they didn't do too badly overall. Uh, I think that a number of our currencies weakened slightly, but uh, Asia somehow, I think, that um, performed relatively well. But when you say weakened slightly, what are you meaning? Let's look at, say, the little ASEAN markets for Singapore, Indonesia... Taiwan. Yes. Uh, their currency is weakened by something like about 2 to 5% against the U.S. dollar. So I think that that is still a relative outperformance if you compare those currencies' performance with the euro or let's say the yen, say. And we had the renminbi actually weakened this year too. Yes, it did a little bit by about 2.5%. But, uh, you know, given the fact that the U.S. dollar was so strong, uh, a weakening of 2%, I think that is, uh, is not a bad performance or in, in relative terms. Yes, uh, but what do you do when you're, I mean, you're looking at multi-assets around the world, this sort of cash bonds, equities. You're looking at the currency, if you like, as a backdrop to all of that. How do you handle the currency movements when you have such a, a year of such volatility as we have now? Um, as a as a multi asset manager, um, we obviously have to um, uh, take um, a, quite a number of hedges against uh, a number of currencies which we thought that would weaken quite substantially against the U.S. dollar, and that actually included the yen and the euro. So we actually had. Um, a, a hedge against the euro and against the yen and in favor of the US dollar throughout last year. And for uh, our listeners who aren't too sure about what a hedge might be, what exactly do you do? Basically, um, we sell the yen <coughs> and the euro forward 
and we bought the U.S. dollar forward against the um, the physical positions which we have in the equity markets in Japan and in Europe. So you're trying to say, if you're investing in Europe, you're trying to protect the value because the euro might go down even though the assets might go up. That is exactly right. Right. And what other um, issues did you have with currency this year? Did- you mean in 2014? Yes. Right. Correction, uh, last year. <laughs> I, I think that um, in terms of uh, the, um, the issues, I, I would say that um, the, um, we, the, the, um, the, the Asian currency's weakness did impact a little bit on, um, on some of uh, the, um, the holdings which we have in Asia. But as I said before, uh, in fact, a number of markets in Asia did very well. The equity markets did quite well. Mm, let's look at equities now. We've got um, uh, in the stock markets, the Dow broke 18,000 for the first time. Uh, the S&P climbed 13%, breaking 53 highs. Uh, The small stock U.S. Russell 2000 index crept up just 4%, but also broke an all-time high. The technology-heavy Nasdaq was up 15%. But in Europe, the indices weren't too good. The European index is up only 1%. Um, The Australia uh, market was up only 1%. If you're investing with assets in different parts of the world, everybody says you should diversify. But this seems to imply that actually it was a one-horse game this year. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think that um, uh, that's at the market level. But as you um, as you appreciate, as a as a fund manager um, who has been working in the, this industry for for a very long time, um, you um, you would be uh, quite familiar with the fact that the index is one thing, but uh, the ability to be able to pick stocks or pick sectors within those markets actually does make a big difference. Yes, and I think that um, most fund managers this year, including ourselves have been quite wary about investing in uh, in the sectors which are very sensitive to global growth. And what that means is that um, we, we uh, throughout the year, everyone knows that the Chinese economy was slowing down. So um, uh, most fund managers have been avoiding the um, exposure to energy or to, um, let's say, materials, which include steel companies and copper companies and um, chemical companies. So, so as a result of that, um, fund managers have been focusing a lot more on, let's say, the new growth areas of the Internet or, or let's say, healthcare or consumer and trying to avoid the losing, uh, se- uh, losing sectors and stocks. And as a result of that, we can still add value, despite the fact that the indices themselves don't look too healthy. So by picking stocks rather than just buying the index. Well, that's an argument against exchange-traded funds, isn't it? Yes, yes, in a way it is, yes. I, I think that some years the exchange funds did very well, but last year wasn't a bull market for exchange funds. Last year was quite a tricky one for, for the ETF, the exchange trade fund. So I think that, uh, you know, horses for courses, really. But there's also lots of talk. Uh, I'm sure this isn't Bearings Asset Management, but uh, because you're, you tend to be more diversified. But a lot of fund managers who do specialize in certain areas, the active fund managers, the people who pick stocks rather than just bet on the market, have actually not done quite very well this year. I think that it, it depends on the style. It depends on their style. 
I mean, if they are very value oriented and if they just buy cheap stocks, well, the cheap stocks uh, last year actually were in the banking sector, in the material sector, in the energy sector. And, and those sectors, although they are cheap, but they didn't perform last year. Whereas the high growth areas of internet, healthcare, and consumer actually did quite well. So it sounds so, as if it was uh, a year of animal spirits rather than a year for the sharp penciled analysts. Uh, yes, or it is a year for momentum players rather than for deep value fund managers. Okay, let's have a look at uh, the bond markets because, you know, it's reading this morning, the uh, US Treasury market has had the best year for more than a decade, uh, remembering that the 10 year bond. Yield. I think it began at the year over 3% and ended at 2.17. That's a 28% rise. Was it another year where investors were caught short because they all thought that interest rates would go up and bonds would do badly? I think you're right, actually. In fact, bearings, um, I mean, our group was also thinking that perhaps uh, interest rates at best would remain at about the same level as uh, as 3%. But uh, obviously, we were not right on that one because uh, as far as the bond market is concerned, the, the, the theme which drove the global bond markets last year was about deflation. Yes. Uh, okay, speak about inflation, deflation. Last one, gold. Gold did almost nothing last year. <laughs> Well, I think that that was a good performance, actually. Yes, because it was in US dollars. Exactly right. So I think that there's still some lovers of gold. And I think that um, basically the central banks of Asia have still been buying gold uh, as part of uh, the diversification of their foreign exchange reserves. Some people uh, will never hate gold. Um, <laughs> okay, it's currently 8.17 and we'll be back after this. Hing owns a kanji shop at Oiman Estate. Every Sunday, he gives away free kanji to the elderly. He doesn't think it's charity. He just boils up a big pot of kanji to share. It's that simple. People say he's kind, but Hing says he's just an average guy making a small contribution. He says, if you can help someone, well, that's a blessing. To learn more about the spirit of giving, visit www.blesshongkong.hk. Well, in his New Year's speech, President Xi Jinping emphasized his commitment to the battle against corruption. The corruption drive is reported as choking off the high end of the Chinese economy this year, as big spending has choked off a lot of the spending, especially in sectors like property and gaming. He also said that China would deepen reform and advance the rule of law to achieve a well-rounded society. So to help us understand that statement and uh, geopolitics in general in Asia this year, we have Mark Michelson, Senior Counselor of APCO Worldwide with us. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. China, is it a Happy New Year for China? I mean, the politics has been intense over the last two years. It's been intense, but this is partly partly preparing for what what has to be a change in the uh, Standing Committee of the Politburo, which, which occurs in a couple of years. And this is also also trying to solidify Xi's policy, and so the all the reforms that the Chinese have talked about making the economy, also preparing a new five year plan. This is a big time. This is a very important couple of years for China. And how do you think it might go then? Because we've seen President Xi obviously appear to increase his uh, personal stature over the last year, especially with the corruption drive, uh, with the China dream, this kind of thing. Do you see any big changes in 
Politburo in terms of the faces we might be likely to see? I suspect there will be. Who they are, I think, is the is the difficult question because I suspect, and I'm not a specialist in 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 the the, uh, the uh, details of Chinese politics. I suspect there'll be some people we've not, we don't know very well that are close to Xi, but we might not know from you know from from any, much public activity. So in that sense. You know what? What most of us are hoping, those of us that, that deal in business every day, is that China does succeed in rebalancing its economy successfully and and finding a sustained path forward. But at the same time, there are of course a lot. Whenever you do this, whether it's economically or politically, and he's doing both, there are a lot of uncertainties involved, and he's got a few problems outside of China as well. So. It, it could be a very interesting year. Certainly looks like it. Um, what other uh, policy areas are you looking at around Asia? Well, there, there's some clear ones. We always worry about Korea. And now, you know, we've just heard the, uh, the leader of, of North Korea say he wants to talk again. It's not that we haven't heard this before from various, from, from various people but in his family. Now? Well, you know, that's it. Eventually, there's going to have to be some sort of movement, I guess. Uh, the hope is that somehow – this reduces the uh, the tension and reduces the risk. I don't know. I think there's always a risk there. The one that's come up that has not been much of a problem in the past few years is Taiwan. Yeah. And Taiwan, particularly politically, uh, a presidential election is coming up in a couple of years. The current president obviously uh, has some problems, just lost a, a big election. His party did, the, the Guomindang. And China doesn't much like uh, the opposition. So this could be a bit more volatile than it has been. But uh, you mean Taiwan domestically might be volatile? Yeah, but Taiwan domestic China's opinion really have an impact on Taiwan. Well, I think it 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 does. I think what it does is it it you know first of all, I think most people in Taiwan, and I don't want to generalize, but most people want to do what they're doing more or less, even though. You know, maybe Taiwan isn't having the best best situation economically that they've ever had in their in their in their history. But at the same time, not so bad. They want a, a certain degree of independence. Still, there's a recognition of the importance of China. I mean, there has to be, right? Because how's Taiwan going to succeed without being uh, very closely connected to China in some some way? But still, that was the that was the essence of the of the big uh, demonstrations against the government that when the students took over government offices. Uh, uh, earlier last year. Now, looking at the rest of Asia, it seems to be relatively stable at the moment politically, um, except for Thailand. Well, yeah, that's true. Let me get Thailand first of all. But I think there are two points to mention, uh, especially regarding China. First of all, Xi Jinping, despite the challenges, he is in power probably for some time, as we know. And the same is true in India probably now. And those are two pretty important places in, in Asia. And so in that sense, and both are reformers, both leaders of both countries are reformers, especially in the economic sense. They seem to be more or less pro-business. There's no doubt that especially in China, there will be some multinational companies caught in uh, some of the anti-corruption uh, and, and, and other drives, but at the same time problems. Thailand is, is, is a very difficult situation. It is still 50-50, it seems. Uh, it's not clear that either side has really taken a strong leadership position. And unfortunately, the uh, the uh, the king still is ill and there's no clear movement forward. Saying that, economically, it looks quite good. There's quite significant investment in Thailand, especially by the Japanese. But politically, 
we haven't worried for many years, but in Thailand, that's that's one. Yeah, strangely, the Thai market didn't do too badly last year. No, no. Um, Kim, what's what your general feeling on on the two big ones, China and India, which have done so well this year? Um, we're still very bullish on both of those uh, markets, and the reason for that is because when you when you compare those economies around the world, at one stage uh, China did badly because China um, policy, monetary policy especially was tightening. Uh, that was tightened for three years, and it was only eased uh, a few months ago. And this is the commencement of the easing of monetary policy in China. So for both markets, we think that both markets will do well next year. But China, I think that will do better than India next year. And they're both markets that are sensitive to animal spirits too. <laughs> indeed, indeed, we love those animal spirits when they go the right way. When 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 the animals head in the right direction, as you know, Richard. That's uh, right. That's right. Always going to be positive, Mark. And we just talked about emerging markets that are not doing so well, and especially in Europe and and Eastern Europe in particular, whereas Asia, especially these two, we think are going to do pretty well. Now you're also quite bullish on Asia, Mark, in terms of the oil price? Yeah, well, for most of Asia. Obviously, though, there are a few countries that don't do so well. But for most of Asia, yeah, there's some benefits. And Japan in particular. And Japan, as we know, is all, also already uh, – also just had a an election. I'm a little – I I have a little prejudice here. But I'm a, a little less uh, optimistic about Mr. Abe going forward. He clearly doesn't have much opposition. I'm not so sure that – the nationalist uh, feelings that he has that are pretty strong have have abated. So I still think we're going to have some problems in the East China Sea. But at the same time, with the oil price uh, going down and, and other factors, Japan looks a lot better, I guess, than it did than it did a few months ago. Let's see if my my colleague agrees. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's about right because I think that when you have poor demographics, when you have, um, you know, uh, older citizens who don't want to really spend a lot of money uh, against, um, against the younger ones, uh, um, like in Asia. I mean, in Asia, you have great demographics. They have, you have a lot of uh, new formation of families. But in the case of Japan, you have more elderly people. And, um, so you are, you are fighting against, um, against a massive kind of headwind and to try to generate growth uh, against that headwind is very difficult. So, Mark, what do you think about uh, just final thing? Twenty fifteen and growth positive or well, I, I think I think basically positive, not wonderful, but not bad. Good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mark Mickelson, senior counselor at APCO Worldwide. Uh, thank you for joining us, and have a happy new year. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have our industry guest now who today, um, he spent 30 years running a large insurance company in Singapore. On the phone to give us some insight into new trends into the sector is Kin Lian Tan, who's president of the Financial Services Consumer Association in Singapore. Uh, good morning, Kin Lian. Uh, good morning, Zhou San. Zhou <laughs> San. Uh, now, your association, as I understand, is a non-profit society that gives advice to consumers on financial planning issues. Um, and I also understand you're a former candidate in the 2011 presidential election. Yeah, both statements are correct. Good. No thought of standing again as one former candidate to another? Uh, no, I'm getting too old for that already. Yeah, I know. It's a young man's game. Um well, tell us a little bit about the problems with insurance in Asia, because I believe your association um, really has some insights into this area. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the main problem is that uh, 
most life insurance policies pay a very high commission to the agent. Now, the consumers buy life insurance uh, partly as an investment for their long-term savings. The high commission and other charges take away a large part of the return on, earned on these savings. Uh, this results in a low yield uh, on the life insurance policy. Uh, consumers are not aware that they are actually making a very bad investment. Yes, I've noticed this in, in Asia especially, because in Europe you tend to have very cheap term investment. You know, basically your insurance premium goes in a pot and that's used to pay off the claims. But in Asia, and I think it's maybe partly because a lot of big companies are associated with, you tend to have insurance that's quite complex. It also includes an investment component. Uh, that's, that's true. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, for uh, people who have a need to provide uh, financial security for their uh, family, uh, especially when their children are young, the most suitable policy is a term insurance policy because it can provide a very large amount of protection, a large amount of insurance for a relatively small premium outlay. And so I do recommend term insurance. Kinian, uh, what's your association doing about trying to encourage companies to provide this kind of uh, really cheap but quite important insurance to customers? Uh, well, uh, the companies have a vested interest not to provide term insurance because they prefer to sell the uh, investment-type policies <laughs> where they can make uh, a bigger profit yes. margin. Yes. And their insurance agents also prefer to sell the the investment-type policy because they can earn higher commission. Yes, so it's all about commissions. Uh, yeah, so my association just uh, uh, try to educate consumers uh, to make a better choice. Excellent. Well, I wish you the best of luck in the end. Have a very successful New Year, and thank you very much for joining us on Money for Nothing. Just to close, um, I'll tell you about the open markets, but there are very, very few. The Australian market is almost flat at 5,388, and that's the first market open in 2015. Um, Kim, just before we go, uh, what's your favourite pick for 2015? My favorite pick is uh, basically our markets uh, where the, the central banks are easing uh, money um, and where they're injecting liquidity in the system. Unfortunately, equity markets have been driven by more by liquidity than by growth. So on that basis, I would say China, India, Japan to a certain extent, and Europe. I think that will do much better the, uh, next year, uh, this year, I'm sorry, than <laughs> let's say the U.S. The U.S. is tightening monetary policy. It's going to be tough for the U.S. Good. Well, thank Thanks very much for that. Uh, I'm just going to remind everyone to put 2015 on your checks uh, from this morning. Thank you very much again for joining us on Money for Nothing. Renita Malhotra-Hora is back with you on Monday. And have a very, very productive year. Uh, now the weather, it's going to be mainly fine, rather cool in the morning, during the day with a maximum temperature of around 18 degrees. We'll see moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds. And uh, it will be cloudier. Hopefully temperatures will rise gradually over the weekend and early next week. The moment temperature is 13 degrees and the relative humidity is 81%. And now the news read by Todd Harding.
President Xi Jinping has ordered an immediate investigation into the New Year stampede in Shanghai that killed at least 36 people and injured more than 40. The president wants to make sure events planned for the Lunar New Year celebrations in February are safe. Gabby Gabrielle is an American photographer who lives in Shanghai. She got caught up in the crush on the waterfront. It was a tremendous amount of people moving in all different directions. It seemed some people were trying to move away from the river, and some people were trying to go towards the river. No guidance. Even the police were just standing around. At first, it seemed like a concert almost, but then after midnight, that's when it really intensified. And honestly, I feared for my life. France's crash investigation agency is sending a specialist team to join the search for the wreckage of an AirAsia aircraft that went missing off the coast of Indonesia. The team, which is due in Jakarta today, will focus on trying to detect signals from the flight recorders of the Airbus plane. The agency is involved in investigating any Airbus crash because the company is based in France. A new study says most types of cancer are the result of bad luck, rather than genes, environment, or lifestyle. Researchers in the United States looked at 31 different types of cancer and found two-thirds were caused by random cell division. The BBC's Simon Ponsford reports. The scientists wanted to explain why some cancers are more common than others. They say the answer lies in the way the body replaces tired old cells with new ones by dividing stem cells. With each division comes the random risk of a dangerous mutation, which can then lead to cancerous cells. So colon cancer is more prevalent, for example, because cells in the colon divide much faster than in other areas of the body, such as the brain. The scientists suggest that improving lifestyle and environment does help in diseases such as skin and lung cancer. But in most cases, they say, it.